0: Hello, and happy 2017. You're listening to Things of Interest.
1: I'm Serena Chen. And I'm Sophia France. Today we'll be talking about privacy and security.
0: Just as we take security precautions to lock up our house when we leave for the day, security precautions online are super important to keep you and your data safe. Now that's your photos, your conversations, your personality, essentially. I'm sure you've all heard of the Snowden fiasco, where a whistleblower contracting for the NSA leaked documents that revealed incredibly pervasive mass passive surveillance programs. And more recently, the UK passed their most extreme internet surveillance law in history, uh, which includes telling internet service providers to keep complete records of every website that you visit. So that's kind of like... Vodafone or Spark, your internet service provider, keeping a log of everywhere you go on the internet. And even more recently, we've been hearing nonstop about these Russian hacking and disinformation campaigns, all this fake news stuff around the 2016 election. So it's... it's an interesting world. <laughs> but before we go any further, I really want to... I want to acknowledge the obvious here. This all sounds... Ridiculous. It sounds surreal. It sounds like it came out of some sci fi novel. But the fact is that our lives are increasingly lived and stored on the internet. And so while worrying about nation state hackers is a little out of our scope, there's plenty of other nasties on the internet that we should look out for. I think just a couple of months ago, the San Francisco public transport system was hacked by ransomware. And ransomware is one of the most common out there. It's when hackers, they get into your system and encrypt your data. So they lock it away from you and you can't get to it. And they ask you for a fee to give it back. Um, And it's extremely common. And they're not doing this because of any kind of political ideology. They're just everyday criminals out to make a buck. So everyone is vulnerable to this. So what I really want to chat about today is more like the dealing with the everyday criminals, the everyday hackers on the internet, and how we as everyday people on the internet can protect ourselves. Sophia, can you tell me a little bit about what kind of stuff you do every day to stay secure on the internet?
1: I I worry that you're going to be disappointed in me. Um... But sort of what I do is I link basically everything back to my email, so my Gmail account, and on there I have two-factor authentication on. So that means when I log in, if I ever – Have to log in. I get a text to my phone, and they send me a particular code, and then I enter that in, and they're like, "Okay, cool. You are who you say you are. Good job." And then I get into my email, and that's really nice. Um, my bank does that for a few things. Although I'm like, I've always been less concerned about my bank, and I couldn't really figure out why, because it seems ridiculous to be less concerned about. Until um, a friend of ours, um, a mutual friend of ours, Tom Eastman, was sort of talking about it, and he basically said like, if something, if someone's trying to get into your bank account your bank will call you like twitter's not gonna call you gmail isn't gonna like give you a ring and be like oh mate looks like someone's trying to break into your account but your bank will give you a ring and be like mate it looks like someone's trying to break into your account you maybe want to like change your password i think the other thing is i actually use a few different passwords for a few different things so the passwords i use my bank accounts i don't use for anything else and the same thing with paypal so paypal gmail And my bank accounts are all different. Nice. For stuff that like links back to my email that I can relatively easily reset the password. Sometimes I'll reuse the password a few times. But that's because I'm lazy. So what you're doing is probably better than
0: like 90% of everyone on the internet. (laughs) I I shit you not. I don't know. I, I am not disappointed in that at all. In fact, you're doing exactly what I recommend to most So, security professionals will recommend that you use a completely different and completely random password for every single account. That you make on the internet, essentially. Which is which is the way to go. And it's like, if you have time, if you have, you know, the, the mental energy to do that, and to manage all of that, you know, you've got a password manager kind of thing, then you should definitely do that. But the fact of the matter is, most people don't have, you know, that much time and energy to dedicate to randomly generating passwords.
1: <laughs> well... I started being a yeah I started being a lot better at um, having different passwords and having like complex passwords after I read that XKCD strip that was like the longer your password is the harder it is to hack even if you just have like words strung together that make sense and so for a while um, and I don't do this anymore I would have like particular sections of rap songs that I would use as my passwords and it would typically be from somewhere like Das Racist where like they have a whole section that's like they'll just string words together in a rhythmic sense and it's like Like, okay, this makes no sense to anyone, but it works really well as a password because it's like thirty characters long or more. And that's one of the reasons it really frustrates me when like websites have like an upper limit on how long your password can be. Because like I'm not gonna use the entire script of the B-movie to, like, yeah. lock my account, but come on, dude.
0: That's a real frustration I have, especially, like, working for a bank, because it's usually banks that have those upper limits, and those upper limits are are a hangover from some older technology that's just, like, really hard to replace. But, yeah, you're you're totally right when saying that you're not as worried about your bank account, and I'm not either, because banks have very hardcore anti-fraud things in place, so they will call you, they will, like ask you to come in if it's really serious and, you know, prove your identity kind of thing. There's less to worry about there. You're also doing the totally right thing of having different passwords for your most important accounts. So this is usually what I um, what I recommend is your most important accounts are usually your bank account and your email address that everything falls to, and anything else that may have payment authority, so like PayPal. And the thing to do would be to randomly, in quote marks generate a completely unique password for each of those most important things and everything else is well it depends on like how much effort you want to put into it right like I I would then recommend to look at the accounts that you most frequently use and that you care about so for a lot of people that's Facebook because a lot of you know their their personal photos are on Facebook um, for some that's Twitter because that's you know how they talk to the world so whatever whatever accounts that you care about and use the most frequently I put them in a second tier of you shouldn't be reusing passwords but you might want to stick to some kind of like password pattern that in your head generates new password the best thing to do and if you don't want to remember any passwords at all would be to get a password manager for these accounts
1: yeah so like how secure are those right because like the idea of having all my passwords in one place seems bad
0: and it's well, it didn't scare me. It like it concerns me as well, which is why I don't currently use them, but every single security professional I know recommends them. So they're they're safe, essentially. And if I were to start using one, I would probably keep a, a very long, complex password for my most important accounts, so like my email addresses, to myself, and just have all of my other accounts, like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, all of that stuff, generated and stored in the password manager. They're really good. They've got their pros and cons, but security-wise, is that they're pretty secure, they're pretty good. As long as you've got like a really long passphrase. And again, like you said something really on point when you said to use a long passphrase, like a big phrase that's really long that you can remember really easily, rather than like a six string of like random uppercase, lowercase numbers and So like actually you're you're doing super well. Okay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like the thing to do better would be to like start um just not reusing passwords in your other accounts.
1: Well most Mostly, particularly because a lot of my accounts I'm just like permanently signed into on my computer, I will often forget my passwords <laughs> and then I have to reset them anyway. So I'm not like super fussed about it because it's just like, oh, oh, I'm trying to log on to Facebook. Nope. Don't know what I used here. Let's just uh... <laughs> <laughs> just reset it again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's kind of why your email is so important, because everything falls back to your email. Another really good tool that's out there that I just remembered is this website called Have I Been Owned.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I use that.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, like, if you have some time to the listeners out there and you want to kind of beef up your security a bit more, there's this website called Have I Been Owned, owned spelt with a P, because nerds and you basically put in your an email address or a username and it will search a bunch of leaked hacked accounts It'll search all those accounts and see if your account was one of the ones that was breached. So you can then go and change your password. But yeah, I guess, like, you're doing super well. And most people that I've met reuse their passwords a lot. They don't have unique passwords for their email and their bank account and their most important accounts. So to the listeners out there, and don't feel bad if you're one of these people because everyone does this. But it is a super, it's a really good idea if you've got a lot of reuse of passwords to go and come up with new passwords yeah it's hard to talk about like ways of generating passwords without like because everyone has their own way and you kind of don't want to expose that but i i will share with you how i generate passwords and you can do this you just need some dice which i have here (laughs) or one die really and You can either have... It's just a big book. So either dictionary, thesaurus, um, Bible, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, an obscure book, romance novel, just a book with words in it. And then you devise some plan that maps whatever the dice rolls tell you to some words in the book. And you just start rolling dice. And then you what you'll get is you'll get a a string of words and then you can like do some stuff to the words if you want. You can like spell them weird or make them capitalize or like add some punctuation in there or some numbers. You do whatever you want with them. Don't tell me. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. But yeah, it's that's a really good way to be truly random with your passwords. And making them, like, long and memorable. So, yeah, that's that's a one way to do it. Um, the other way would be, of course, to get a password manager. And just let them do that for you. Because then you know how to think about it.
1: Okay, so that's passwords. I don't know how much you know about this, but I have just finished reading a book on the Riemann Hypothesis. So, how... Good is bank security. Bank security. So this is sort of mentioned in the book, partly because like the Riemann hypothesis is potentially, and the Riemann um conjecture is like, it's a way of maybe predicting when prime numbers occur. From what I understand, <laughs> I am a geneticist. <laughs> and banks, do they still use like prime numbers to encode stuff? Okay, so everyone uses prime numbers. This is why
0: it's such a massive conjecture it has such far reaching effects because everyone like all encryption relies on well not all but 99.9% of all of the encryption that you will come across relies on the fact that really really big numbers are hard to factorize into primes so i don't know uh how specific you'd like me to go into
1: um just this. yeah a bit yeah
0: I yeah. like hearing about it. Well, I mean, I could, I could go through it, and if it's too complex, we can just cut it out. But how encryption works, essentially, is this. So I've got a secret message that I want to give to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want anyone else to see this message. So I need to encode it. I need to, like, muck it up a bit, encode it, so I can then give to you. No one else knows the code, and only you know the code. So you can read it without anyone else knowing. But the problem with that is that we need to agree on a code beforehand. Like, how do we actually encode this? And it's easy when, you know, we know each other and we can talk about it somewhere else in real life and then, you know, encode stuff later on. That's cool. But what if you and I are complete strangers? How do I negotiate a secret code with you before we actually talk without anyone else listening in? Now that's the problem that asymmetric encryption, which is the thing that we all use basically on the internet, when you see that HTTPS stuff mm-hmm. on your browser, yeah, that means that the entire page has been encrypted.
1: Oh, that's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is really cool. It, it, and it means that like someone in the middle of your connection can't like just listen in on what websites you're going to and like what you're looking at. So that HTTPS stuff, that's why it's green. It's It's important. And a way to do this is with prime numbers. So like really big numbers are really hard to factorise. If you've got two primes and you multiply them together and then you give it to someone else, it'll take them, well it'll take a computer many many thousands and thousands of years to try and figure out what those two prime factors were. So using this knowledge, I have some kind of message and I somehow multiply this message by my prime factor and I give it to you, and then you multiply your message by some prime factor, um, and then you give it to me. And because I didn't tell you what my prime factor was, and you didn't tell me what your prime factor was, someone looking in from the outside has no idea what each of our prime factors are. Okay, so you give the message back to me, and I divide it by my prime factor, And then I can find out Mm -hmm. what your prime factor was. And then I give it back. So now we have this common key. Now we just multiply our two prime factors together. And it's like, okay, this is our shared secret. And now we can use the shared secret to encode everything else that we use to talk to to each other with. And that's wrongly, but basically how modern encryption works. And the reason why the Riemann hypothesis has such far reaching consequences is that if we can reliably predict where these prime factors are, if we can somehow make it super easy to factorise really large numbers, then, I mean, the whole whole basis of encryption is on the assumption that factorising really large numbers is really hard. So that'll fall
1: apart. (laughs) Okay, so do we have any alternatives for encryption if, say, the Riemann hypothesis is, like, solved?
0: Not that I know of. I think, I mean, I'm sure there are cryptographers out there working on something different but noth- nothing has come out of the the pipeline that has perked any um any widespread interest.
1: Oh shit. That's really bad. Well, cuz I know during um the Second World War the way we encrypted a lot of the Allies' messages was just like by translating them into Navajo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <The> <laughs> Navajo code talkers. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: spoken, but like that's not really yeah. <laughs> an option for the internet.
0: Yeah, we've got Google Translate now. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it is a worrying thing, but I don't think it's a thing that we'll worry. We'll have to worry about within the next ten years. Okay. Yeah, the Remind hypothesis is incredibly, incredibly hard to prove. Although, I don't know, maybe I'm jinxing this. Maybe it'll be proved or disproved tomorrow, who knows. But I think we can reliably count on that for at least the next decade. It's exciting, though! <laughs>
1: I want to know more about VPNs because I don't know anything about them except that the one you tried to get in China was bad.
0: (laughs) VPNs,
1: or virtual private networks,
0: they're like, if you can think of it, like when you connect to the internet, you connect to something. So either you're in your own home and you've got your internet provider and that's how you get internet. So all of your data goes to your internet provider and they're like, cool, we're going to connect you to the internet, here you go. And the problem with that is that there could be someone in the middle of that just, like, listening, just looking at the data that goes through to your ISP, or there could be someone in the middle of that looking at what data goes from your internet service provider to the actual internet. And from there, they can essentially spy on you. They can, you know, learn about you and what you browse. And a VPN is basically encrypting everything. So every bit of data that goes from your computer to your internet service provider or your internet service provider to the wider internet. And this is, it's a pretty hardcore thing, I think, to put in your home. But then again, you know, with all the leaks that have come out, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe people are being very sensible putting this in their homes. But it is something that is definitely recommended if you're using public Wi-Fi. So if you're in a cafe, just using public Wi-Fi and everyone can get on, it's It's very, very easy for someone who either is malicious or just, you know, out to have some fun to look at what everyone is browsing on their laptops and look at all of the signals that's coming from your computer to the internet and back. So a VPN is is like if you can encrypt all of the stuff that's coming out of your computer to the internet and back then no one else can listen in and that's essentially what it is you can think of it as like your own very little like straw through which your data flows and no one else can get in
1: Okay, that's pretty cool. So, is that why people can use them in, like, China to access Facebook? Yeah, yeah. So, what happens is that if you
0: basically funnel all of your data through this VPN, and then the VPN connects you to the internet, the wider internet, then you're going to look like you're coming from wherever your VPN is coming from. So, it kind of, like, masks where you are in the world. And in China... So they have this great firewall, which they call it, that blocks a lot of websites. And they do this because they can intercept what you're browsing. You know, they know what websites you're going to. If you're going to one they don't like, then you don't see it. If they go to one that they're okay with, then you see it. But if you encrypt everything, then they can't tell what's a good website, what's a bad website. And essentially, you're not asking this Chinese service provider for your internet. You're asking your VPN for the internet. And you're doing it through the Chinese service internet provider
1: (laughs) okay so you ask the chinese like internet service provider to talk to your vpn
0: kind of yeah yeah and sometimes they do dodgy things with that sometimes they don't give you like a very good connection but i mean you can use it anyway just because so many people use it and they do want to keep foreigners happy you win some you lose some
1: (laughs) is that how plugins like hola work or ola or whatever that is
0: Oh, what is that? I have never heard of that.
1: It's one of the Google plugins. It's like an unlimited free VPN and you can sort of change what you're looking at. Like, so that you can watch Netflix in America, basically.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Back in the day, there were things like you'd use proxies a lot. I mean, you still use them now, but they were more widespread back in the day when you wanted to watch some videos from America that you couldn't watch.
1: Uh, We used to use those to, like, go to cool websites at school.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, funny junk and shitty websites like that. <laughs> but it's it's kind of the same principle. It funnels all of your traffic through a point somewhere else in the world, and so you can pretend to be somewhere else in the world. The thing to look out for with free VPNs is you should probably read their privacy policies. If they don't have one, maybe don't use them, because they're functioning as your new or, like, second layer of internet service provider, so they can see whatever you see, essentially. Okay. And it's, like, usually the ones that you pay for, you can, you can pretty much try. but it's I mean, the internet is all about trust, so <laughs> your mileage may vary. Okay,
1: next question. Yeah. I, I'm sorry that this is like an episode where I'm just like, I have all of these questions about the internet, Serena. No, they don't understand it.
0: That's all good. That's all good.
1: So, you know, the big palaver about like Hillary Clinton's emails or whatever that I paid very little attention to. Yeah. What was that about from like an internet perspective? Did you have like a separate server or was like using some encryption so everyone thought it was dodgy like what was happening there
0: oh um i can't tell you the detailed ins and outs of that but she wasn't doing anything that was uncommon by other government workers so this is something something that they shouldn't do by the way but a lot of them do do (laughs) do do (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) you're a child
0: (laughs) ah yes my humor is unparalleled (laughs) So if you are working for the government in the United States, they give you a government email address and all of your email and all of the things that you do through email should be funneled through that. And they've got their own state security that's around that. And if you have that, you can't get your email on your phone, which is annoying, I'm sure, if you're on the go all the time. And I mean, even just like as a normal person, I I expect to be able to read my emails on my phone. And what a lot of government workers do is that they they have to carry around two phones. One is their work phone and one is their personal phone. Which, again, is what you should be doing. What they should be doing. It's It's the correct best practice. But it's annoying. So what a lot of government workers do do is that they set up their own email server and they just funnel everything through their own email server so they only have to carry one phone. And A, they shouldn't be doing this. And B, a lot of people other than Hillary Clinton are also doing this. It's a, it's an unspoken truth, or like a, like an out secret amongst those in DC. So you know those are true facts. Take them or leave them.
1: Sorry, what was your other question? It was like essentially, it was like how legit it was. Like it was something like that. She shouldn't have been doing, but that is very common, and so not really anything to worry about.
0: Uh yes and no i mean if we want to if we want to talk in good faith about the whole email scandal then we really should be talking about how to provide security that is easy to use to people who work in government Because the fact is, she shouldn't have been doing that. But the second fact is that it's so annoying that there are a lot of government workers doing this, and they all shouldn't be doing it. So the question isn't, do we crack down harder? The question might be flipped to say, how do we implement secure measures without making it really annoying, so that people circumvent them? It's kind of like if you work for like a large corporate, they make you change your password every so often. Yeah, it's either every month or three months or whatever.
1: I think, yeah. we have it like every six months at work, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's annoying, right? It's incredibly annoying. And it. through research, you find that this doesn't actually help with security. It's just something that's thought to have helped. And because it's so annoying, people start circumventing it. It's like if you make something that's so annoying, people are going to not use it. They're not going to use it. And you're going to create more trouble for yourself. So people like write their passwords and stick them onto their computers. <laughs> And stuff like that. I think it's a it's a bigger question for the security community and and the people who implement that that stuff for the government. It's less of a question of I don't know, let's make Hillary Clinton an example of this because a lot of people do this. Yeah. Was it legit? Like what, were there actual emails leaked? Yes, there were actual emails leaked.
1: I just the internet is so complicated.
0: Yeah. And the tech industry does I just
1: a, want to talk to my friends.
0: Yes. <laughs> the tech industry does such a terrible job of of communicating these things i don't know it's it's stuff like i hear a lot of um, a lot of my friends talking about you know I'll, I'll talk about things like passwords and being secure and they'll be like i'm boring no one wants to hack me which is something that i hear all the time and something that i thought all the time as well because yes we're all super boring and no one wants to hack us and we're we're not millennials so but it doesn't really matter
1: <laughs> because particularly if someone has like set up some kind of bot to like yeah. try and brute force your accounts. Like that's barely any effort on their part and if they get into your accounts and they make some money out of that, which is enough, like
0: precisely. It's it's all a cost benefit thing and because the cost for the hacker is going down, they can just go out and try and hack as many people as they want, like up to the hundreds of thousands. And even if two percent of that succeeds, they're gonna see some profit. So it's not about how interesting or boring you are. It's just because you're there on the internet. like
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got another question. What is mm-hmm. a blockchain?
0: Oh my god. So blockchain is a way of doing currency on the internet. Well, actually, no. And more generally, a blockchain is basically like a record of things that have happened, if that makes sense. And this was used to solve the internet currency problem. It's like we want a currency that's not bound to a specific country, We want to buy stuff on the internet, so how do we do this? And the whole idea of blockchain currency is that it's decentralized, so you don't have... But,
1: yeah, hold on, wasn't that Bitcoin, and didn't that go terribly? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes, so the whole idea is that you don't have one person dictating what's happened, what transactions have happened. So... You don't have a record, one record somewhere that says, this is what has happened. You know, Alice gave $3 to Bob, and Bob gave $3 to Charlie. Because if you had one person dictating that, then they could make stuff up. They could take away your money, essentially. Um, So the idea of the blockchain is that it's a history of transactions, but everyone keeps a copy. And if everyone keeps a copy, then you just say, okay... Well, what's the consensus here? And then that becomes the new official record. The problem is when, when you have one group of people controlling more than 51% of that system, then it becomes a problem. And that, that's what's currently happening with Bitcoin. Although Bitcoin has really gone up. like The value of Bitcoin has been the highest it's ever been in the last few weeks. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. It is a currency that's like based on an encryption as well. So that's another thing that would <laughs> fall if um, the Riemann hypothesis were to be
1: proven I mean it just seems very weird to me to have like a currency that's not attached to a country Mm mm-hmm why is that i mean like i i grew up traveling a lot so it's like every time you go to a new place like you change stuff into the into the currency like and the value of that currency is based to an extent on things like inflation rates and gdp and like how people are investing in the country when like which is what occurs when currencies are floated on the stock market as everyone goes oh that country is very good oh yes and like (laughs) your sort of import export ratio and it's like okay like that all makes sense like i don't know everything about it but i can tell that there is like some kind of maths behind it but if you've got a currency that isn't attached to a country how do you work out what the value of that currency should be is it just everyone goes like yeah it's pretty good <laughs> essentially yeah that's exactly how the value is forget okay. so see that just seems that seems so seems silly. erratic to me like so unpredictable yeah absolutely no no <laughs> and like as someone who has stocks like I get very off put by the idea that like to buy bitcoin would mean investing in something that I have no way of predicting what is happening next.
0: Yes and no, I think. So you, you get some kind of transparency with currencies that are attached to countries because those countries have central banks and those central banks will set uh, interest rates and that will affect a lot of the inflation slash deflation that happens around their economy. And with the cryptocurrency, you don't have, I mean, the whole idea is that it's decentralized, right? So you don't have some kind of centralized figure setting interest rates. So in that case, you don't have that figure to look upon to, when you want to try and predict how this currency is going. But I guess the other thing to consider is that I don't know what the specific figure is, but it is something around the 99.8% mark or something ridiculous, something that is the far majority of all of the world's currency is in digital form. It's it's not printed. It's not tied to anything physical. So in that case, you can you can very easily see how Bitcoin can be a currency by itself, because it simply relies on the buying power of that currency. And in some ways, you could see it as being more stable than currencies tied to countries, because if a country's production goes down, if their GDP goes down, if they become involved in a war, that kind of stuff affects a currency a lot. Whereas Bitcoin isn't tied to any of that and so it's buying power is relatively stable and it has been relatively stable and high i'm not an economist disclaimer i have no authority in everything that i'm talking about right now but it is a really fascinating thing to keep an eye on it is it is quite interesting
1: i think my follow-up question is with things like bitcoin with like stuff on the internet that's decentralized yay how are you legally protected because there's not an international law being like don't steal someone's bitcoin that's a crime
0: <laughs> this is the really cool thing about bitcoin is that you're not legally protected you're mathematically protected if <laughs> That makes any sense at all. With actual currency.
1: I mean, I do trust in math, so this sounds pretty good so far. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, with actual currency, it's like, okay, I have, you know, this much in the bank, and I can prove my identity, and I have legal protections of my assets uh, through identity, essentially. And it's the same kind of idea with um, cryptocurrencies, except it's the same. it's the same thing with encryption. It's like you have a, a secret, right? You have your own personal key, and it's usually a very, very long passphrase. That only you know, and no one else knows. And because only you know it, only you can confirm, only you can prove that you own the currency that you own. Mathematically. Like, it is mathematically impossible for someone else to say, I own that currency. Because they don't know your secret key. And that's quite compelling. Could someone forge a Bitcoin? Forge? Hmm. That's an interesting question. And I'm sure people have tried, because Bitcoin is... Like, one bitcoin is like a thousand bucks or something. Actually, you know what, let me look it up. It's $1,177. So it's very high. Felix will definitely try this, I bet. My initial thought, as someone who is not a hacker and not actually very good at any of these things, what I try to do is basically take control of a lot of machines with these transactions, with the blockchain. And try and start a competing blockchain. But that's incredibly difficult because everyone, every single person, everyone who's using this has a copy of the blockchain. So you're going to have to compromise enough accounts to gain a majority to say this is the new blockchain. And that is very, very difficult. That's the only way I can see you forging it though. Maths. Man, maths. It's strong.
1: <laughs> is this. Interesting? It is. It's fascinating. But it's also like so far out of my area.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think like tech people, we need to be better at communicating this shit because it's like, it's not, I mean, it is nerdy, but other nerdy things have been communicated very well. Like space. Everyone loves space.
1: (laughs) Is it bad that a lot of people always have location on on their phones? Like, I think it's bad because it's wasted battery. But like, is that like a risk?
0: It depends on what you're trying to protect yourself from, which is, like, the answer to every single security question ever, it is, like, if I'm trying to protect myself from this app that I don't know about, then it's super easy. You can just turn location services for that off and keep location on for everything else. If you don't trust your, um, I don't know, your phone manufacturer's company, then you probably don't want that. You probably want to turn that off. If you don't trust the telecommunication services that you're with, then you probably don't want to use a phone. (laughs) If you, you know, don't trust your government, then you probably don't want to use a phone. You want to turn like the whole thing off. It depends. It's all about trust and it's all about what you want to protect yourself from. But for the everyday person, as long as you keep an eye on what apps have permission to access your location and what apps don't, and you're okay with that, then That's as much as you need. Something
1: else you put in the show notes are blockers and trackers. And I don't even know how to convincingly phrase a question around those because I don't know what they are.
0: Okay, so you already have them. It's like ad blockers. Okay. And like tracker blockers. So in a previous episode, we were talking about ads and I was like, hey, you should install uBlock Origin, you should install Privacy Badger and HTTPS everywhere. And then I did and it's been great. Yay! Yeah. And that's something that's really easy for everyone to do is... Okay, list of really easy things that the average person can do really quickly right now in zero time at all is make sure your browser is up to date. Make sure your computer is up to date. Install uBlock origin, which blocks ads, and a lot of um, malware is, is spread through ads. Install privacy badger, which blocks trackers, and those trackers are usually from ad companies trying to, you know, figure out what ads to show you. And install HTTPS everywhere, which makes sure that you're using HTTPS, which is the encrypted version of looking websites. And that's... Boom. You're more secure already.
1: (laughs) Is our website on HTTPS yet? I haven't...
0: Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Yay! Woo! We are encrypted. Go us. So, are trackers, like, cookies? They include cookies, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cookies are a way of websites to identify you without identifying you because um, of like everyone's privacy policies. If they've got a reasonable privacy policy, then they'll have to say like, you know, we can't identify you. I can't say, hey, you, Sophia, you're looking at my website. I have to say, hey, you, 92B12X, you're looking at my website. And so it's a way for them to say, hey, you've been here before. We're going to show you some different things. And sometimes cookies aren't aren't all that bad. Like most of the time they're fine. It just depends, again, on uh, who you trust, what websites you trust. So if you get a cookie from a website that you're like, hmm, seems dodgy, you might want to delete that, you might want to block that. If you get it from Google or Facebook, you're like, okay, I know you.
1: You're probably all right. I don't know. Is there, like, any other mistakes that you see people making a lot that, like, are really easy to fix?
0: Stuff like not updating anything. Because you know how you get those, like, update notifications? It's like, hey, there's a new version of Windows or of macOS. Do you want to update now or later? And everyone's like, nah, later. (laughs) And they put it off for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks and months. And that's bad because they're usually security updates. The security teams on these companies are very good, usually. And especially Chrome's security team. They're freaking awesome. And so if they find something out in the wild and they're like, oh, crap, we need to fix this. Those fixes... Come through to you in the form of updates. So, yeah, keep things updated. Something that I see a lot is people reusing passwords, which we've talked about. Something that I see a lot is people trying to download viruses, essentially. (laughs) Like, trying really, really hard to download malware because it's usually like some nondescript photo editing program or. (laughs) (laughs) don't <laughs> know like it's basically developing like a good sniff test for the internet being like what things can i trust what things can't i trust and a lot of the times it's reading reviews from other people it's getting recommendations from other people especially if the software doesn't come from a gigantic company like google and then again it's like if you don't trust google then you're on a different level and you probably want to do different things so it's all, it's all about who you trust. Wear a tinfoil hat, like... Yeah. <laughs> the frustrating thing about talking about security is that it's really inconvenient, like, the things that you have to do, <laughs> it's like... And it's really boring, and people just want to have things that work. So the balance that you have to come to is okay. What companies do I trust? What things do I trust? What websites do I trust? And working off of that, because once you once you can like pinpoint the level of trust you have for different things, and you're like, okay, so maybe I'm okay with Google Maps knowing where I am, or maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm okay with Google reading my emails all the time. Maybe I'm not. And that's something that every person kind of has to negotiate for themselves, because it's like if you're not okay with Google Maps knowing where you are, then you can't use Google Maps, and that's annoying. So teach <laughs> to each their own.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. What's this with governments trying to get like Google to release emails to them?
0: Yeah, that happens a lot. That happens a lot. That happened to Apple. That was in the news recently when the the San Bernardino shooters left their iPhones, and the FBI wanted Apple to essentially create a backdoor, so create some way of someone getting into someone's phone without knowing the passcode. And what they I mean, the FBI, the people working in these government agencies, they're very smart. So it's not like they didn't know this. But the fact is, if you ask for a backdoor, it's not just a backdoor for the government, which is how they're selling it. It's a backdoor for everyone.
1: For everyone.
0: Yeah, everyone. Like, as soon as you know what that is. And people will find it because they're financially motivated to find these things.
1: So yeah, that's a bad idea. To my mind, it seems really stupid for a government to be like, we want you to create a backdoor for us. Yeah. When it's just like, but hackers are better than you. <laughs> like they've shown that a few times now, so they'll probably also find those backdoors.
0: And I think they know that, but I also think because of the kind of work that state surveillance agencies are doing, there's a lot of, they come to a lot of obstacles when it comes to the law. Because, you know, the internet and technology and all these things are so new, a lot of it hasn't been distilled as well into our law. I'm sure they have their own frustrations, and I'm sure they come across, like, things that don't make sense in the law when it comes to... When it comes to investigating these things. But at the same time, asking for a very major company to install a backdoor in the devices, I personally don't believe is the way to go. And a lot of people think that too. It's super tricky. Because it's like, a lot of the times we think of state surveillance agencies as like the enemy. And then in some other cases, they're like the good guys. So, it's it's a balancing act.
1: I get very concerned by state surveillance simply because, like, in most countries, the state is still biased against people who maybe weren't born in the country, maybe were born in the country and have the wrong colour skin, people who, like, are involved in activism. And it's like, but those things aren't bad. And when bad things happen, you have the ability to, like, not need a backdoor and not need to do all of these things.
0: So you're kind of good? It's, it's really difficult. And like this is, again, to the friends out there who say, you know, I don't care if people spy on me. I don't care if the NSA spies on me because I have nothing to hide. And that's really not the point. The point isn't if you have something to hide or not. The point is you have no idea what future government is going to come into place. <clears throat> Trump, and you have no idea what they will decree is unlawful and illegal. And the absolutely fine things that you've been doing on the internet, the, the things that have been, you know, completely okay according to the law that you've done, might suddenly become not okay. And that might get you into trouble. And that is the worry of massive passive surveillance. Oh, by the way, to, like, any activists, minority activists, especially who, or journalists who are listening to this, you're you're gonna need some more Beefier protections. <laughs> uh, you're gonna need to like install Tor or, or like use Brave or I would suggest everyone to use Signal, which is the the messaging app that encrypts everything. Um just cause
1: You suggested that to me
0: before, yeah. Just cause it's quite easy to use and the more the more people use it, the safer it is, essentially. But yeah, if you're a journalist listening to this, I don't know, email me for more things or I'll introduce you to people who actually know what they're talking about. And yeah, stay safe. I hope this has been helpful or if not it has been interesting. Um, security is hard.
1: Yeah, I've <laughs> I've learned a lot, as you can probably tell, that uh all of those questions, that was not an act, my friends. I actually just know nothing about the internet. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We really appreciate all of our listeners, or what, 10 of them? We have more than 10 listeners. But, like, if you haven't, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us some reviews and leave us a rating on iTunes or whatever else there is besides iTunes. It actually really helps us out. We don't advertise except by, like, generally telling our friends. So, if you like us, tell a friend as well. Like, it's really really helpful for us because we like doing this and hopefully it's good like i think it's great i think what we say is <laughs> wonderful so everyone should hear it
0: awesome uh, if you want to get in contact with us you can find us on twitter we're at casting interest you can find us on facebook you can email us at castinginterest at gmail.com drop us a line give us a voice memo join in on the convo. we'd love to hear from you
1: and look we'll see you next time in about two weeks and stay interesting see ya bye